You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Sally Nourosi, Principal Customer Experience Evangelist at Salesforce. How are you doing today, Sally? Hey, Aurelian. I'm good, thank you. I'm working from Salesforce Tyler today. It's quite misty in London, so you can't really see the beautiful yeah. view that we normally see. But yeah, yeah, it's misty and cold. So horrendous, yeah. I had to bring additional eating systems in my room <laughs> and all sorts of equipment, under layers and everything. It's uh, no matter what I do, it's not getting warm. We're not used to the 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 sub-zero. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm going skiing tomorrow. So you see, I'm actually going towards the cold. I'm not scared of it. <laughs> yeah, but we're not prepared that way. Absolutely. So today <laughs> we'll be speaking about how to create breakthrough customer experience strategy, which I think is super useful because lots of people that I've been speaking with or speaking to at the moment are looking at new strategy to increase profitability and top line, so sales and profitability, probably due to a bit of a softening in the market, finance director probably pushing down on a few expenditure and planning, taking a little bit longer because you need to do the same number with a little bit less budget, a potential recession coming, or we are in the midst or middle of a recession. It's the winter, so the energy price going up and everything. So, you know, all the tactics are good, but when the market is Softening usually sales would be the first part of the business taking a little bit of a hit. So customer success, customer experience become really, really important. But what I'm very excited to get started on that topic, could you please give us a little bit of an intro to yourself, Sally? You know, who you come from, what you've been doing, how do you end up becoming in customer experience at Salesforce? I don't think you need to introduce Salesforce. Everybody knows <laughs> who Salesforce is. But yeah, it'd be good to, for our audience to understand a little bit more about your background, Sally. Yeah, sure. And we're talking about my favorite topic, customer experience, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So it's interesting that you say that Salesforce doesn't need an intro. Uh, I've been here for nearly eight years now. And because the technology has evolved so much, I think a lot of people have a limited understanding of what it is. You know, fundamentally, it's a CRM company, but we do everything in and around customer experience to help connect companies with their customers whatever that may be so yeah it's a interesting place to be for sure so um, my name is Sally Neruzzi I'm a principal customer experience evangelist at Salesforce I'm really proud that I'm the first evangelist in EMEA it's it's an absolute dream job I've worked in tech for 15 years. I graduated in marketing and just throughout my journey, I've always worked with with brands, with companies to help them digitize to drive growth all through customer experience. So even though it was more of an immature topic back then, just seeing that evolution now and also seeing that being mandated from top down as well as bottoms up, you know, it, it really is where customer experience can really drive growth for a business. As an evangelist, I do also focus on futurology. So I'm a certified futurist. And I wow. want yeah. <laughs> you, you become that. I want uh, yeah. That's but it's great because you do all the scenario planning around the trends that you're seeing. So you can have a bit of fun and play with that too. But it's great because you can really talk about the maybe someday and the almost now to customers as well. And I'm super blessed to work in a team called Q Branch. So I sit within the global pre-sales agency of Salesforce, a bit like 007, where, you know, when James Bond goes to get shiny cufflinks, people come to us to really arm them as part of the pre-sales process. Do you think people get confused between customer experience and customer success? Yes. 
which are two different functions. So maybe we can nip that one in the bud because I think it's important to make the differentiation before we get going. So would you, from your perspective, main difference between customer success and customer experience? Yeah, I think customer success means a lot of things to different people. Customer experience does too, but I think customer experience is becoming a a broader definition that everybody's really understanding. Very quickly, customer success, the way I look at it, is all around how you are serving your customers going forward. So if you're in a B2B organization, that's all about success with your client. However, customer experience is something that spans across everything, every single touch point. So yes, I do see them as very different things and I think they should be treated differently. So when you speak about customer experience, would that mean that that experience would start before the point of sale technically and the experience that you would give to people as the in their prospective stage? Absolutely. It touches everything. A lot of companies I work with, you know, some of them might want to just improve their NPS because NPS is that one holistic KPI. But they believe that NPS just sits in the servicing department. But actually, customer touchpoint can begin any part of the journey. You could pick up your phone to make an inquiry about something that is handled by the customer service team. However, that might be your gateway to make a purchase, an order or something. So there needs to be a baseline understanding and appreciation towards customer because they can interact and come in any typical way. It might be through the traditional sales funnel, but it might be through reordering. It could be anything. And I think that the moment that customers are using technology to orchestrate that customer journey, that's when you can see positive impact across your whole customer experience. Yeah, that makes total sense, Ali. And and I guess coming back to the topic of the interview today and the conversation, which is about increasing profitability and impacting sales from customer success. So you kind of touch in your answer to my previous question as to some of the the impact that you could have. But if you were to look at all the different impact over the process, so I guess from an acquisition perspective and then from a retention perspective, from a cross-selling, upselling perspective, can you develop a little bit on, I guess not how you do it, but the importance of investing at those different points and and maybe give some example of real life things that you've seen working well? Yeah. Absolutely. And what I love is because I work across EMEA, I work with lots of different sizes of organizations and across the markets, you know, every market is very different in their maturity, but also with the products and services that they're trying to fill. Customer experience has come a long way. You know, I've always believed that CX plays an important role in a business from when I was client side to when I was a marketing and business consultant, because it's the strategic imperative that everybody can rally around. And most importantly, it's something you can motivate everybody around as well. It brings back the joy to a job when you're thinking in in customer centric ways. So good customer experience can, of course, lead to lower cost to serve, lower cost to acquire and ultimately retaining your customers for life. But where we've come a really long way now, we're seeing executives actually being appointed as chief customer officers, VPs of CX. And there is also proof in the data. So not only are we seeing investment made from a a people standpoint and a technology standpoint, but proof is in the data. So we do a lot of research at Salesforce, you know, a good couple of times a year. We've got the state of the connected customer report. And for example, one of the stats um, to share with you is 63% of CEOs 
want to rally organizations around customers as the top investment priority. You know, that makes my job very easy as an evangelist advocating for CX. But for me, honestly, speaking as a, as a human here, it's huge that we can even quantify that now. So it's not just about we need to drive sales, we need to drive growth. It's about customer experience. So that for me demonstrates maturity, wider understanding, but also this is not just something you play lip service to because often it's something the marketing team would inherit. Oh, customer journeys, you know, that sounds creative. You can do that. You do lots of workshops, but actually it's huge. And also 83% of customers say that they believe it's important to make customers happy. They're also seeing that revenue shift as well. So it's really to see it as a win-win scenario. You know, customer experience drives growth by sales, revenue, loyalty, but also a win-win scenario for your employees because they're able to reach their goals quicker, faster, better, smarter. But we also see people feeling so enthusiastic about working in this space and customer experience as well. Yeah, that's super interesting. You mentioned something about getting all the employees. So we've got the CEO, we've got you. So obviously, evangelists, you're passionate about it. CEOs, I mean, happy customers is happy life, right? So happy profit margin, returning customers. One of the big things we've got at Operatics is our happy customers are fantastic word of mouth. They just, yeah. we have so much business coming from, hey, my friend, such and such told me that I should contact you and here we are. So, And the closing rate on those referral opportunities tend to be relatively high because technically the due diligence has been done. So you, mm-hmm. you don't come like a little bit on the back foot. You are, my friend likes you, he yeah. convinced me, I trust him, he's very smart, he's doing very well, you, yeah. you must be okay. So that's also very positive things. But what I would like to take you here is how do you get the whole company to move towards customer experience? Because right, it, it can't be just your job, the job of the CEO, the job of the marketing team. You almost need to educate everybody. So it's got to be the person at the switchboard. It's got to be the janitor. But you know, if you're cleaning and some customer is coming or whatever. So how do you get that sort of spread the love of customer experience to the whole organization, it would be very interesting to understand some of the strategy you've got around that. Fantastic question. And there's loads of ways that you can implement this. Uh, Again, top down from leadership, talking about it being important, although from bottoms up. So one of the things that it comes down to is how you educate your employees to make them feel a part of that customer experience as well. So as we know, Customers don't see things in departments or silos. They see it as the overall brand experience. So how you implement customer-centric design and thinking in people's everyday is really important to bring people together that don't necessarily work together on a day-to-day or they just speak to each other through email and it's very transactional. We've all been there and seen that where people... Maybe the geography of an employee has an impact on someone else for them to be collaborating. So it's creating that connective tissue and that collaboration and that diversity so people can apply that customer-centric thinking. A really small example, but it's probably like, if you can walk away with this as a takeaway, I'm happy. Amazon use that, they use this analogy where they literally take an empty chair like this, maybe not green, (laughs) and they put it in every single meeting room. And that is to represent the customer. So when every meeting's happening, they're always challenging that mindset to go, what does the customer think, feel, do, 
about the situation? What do they need? So customer centric thinking, when I talk down, when I talk to bottoms up, it can be done in a really simple way by trying to get people super aligned around that. Now, it's easier said than done, but what that can manifest to is like roadmaps, project plans, like printed all across the offices. So people are seeing projects as as cross-departmental projects. But I'll give you a really I'll give you another example. It's on a large scale, but it's really simple. Adidas. Yeah. Right? B2B, B2C company did incredibly well in B2C. They wanted to mirror that in their B2B organization. What did they do? Apply the B2C thinking to their business buyers. Sounds Mm -hmm. very simple, but you know how hard it is to do that. How did they unify all their teams together? Just one metric, NPS. So a lot of customers ask me, what should we be measuring? And there's a whole heap of things I can provide. But if you start small, that's so much better than having that perfect picture. I really believe in progress is better than perfection. Mm. Adidas focused on NPS. Their NPS was minus 15. And by aligning everybody together, rallying round, starting small, it went to 20 NPS. Just focused on one KPI. So there's so many ways you can energize teams, but make sure you can cut through the noise and they're focusing on the right thing. Because if you all have that one KPI, guess what? That's when collaboration, that's when doors open, that's when people aren't protective about data and sharing and everyone has a common interest. So NPS is a great topic. I'm going to fall into that rabbit hole a little bit. We actually did a podcast quite a while back. It must have been at least 12, 14 months ago with Sam Jacobs, with the, the CEO of the Community Pavilion and a good friend of, uh, of the team here at Operatics. We spoke about NPS. And so first of all, you mentioned the scale, minus 15 to getting to 20, etc. So I understand the scale, but for audience, it'd be good if you could explain how the scale works. But also, I guess the second question I should wait. I should not ask you both at the same time. But how do you effectively run an NPS campaign? What's the reasonable response rate from customers? Do you actually get the good customer only responding on the people that are... So NPS is an interesting topic. And we probably would have a conversation on that on its own. But but just if you could explain the scale and how those NPS are measured in the actual survey and the question that is being asked, if there is only one or if there is a few, it would be super useful for audience that that is not familiar with NPS, may have been thinking about it or maybe starting to think about it because they're like, wow, Sally is making me want to invest in customer experience now. So yeah, absolutely. So NPS is one of those metrics that I kind of fell out of love with. And then I fell back in love again with because NPS used to just be, you know, net promoter score was traditionally done off the back of a survey. To your earlier comment around, you know, customer success and service, NPS was always an aftermath to a service. It wasn't something people are proactively trying to monitor throughout the customer journey. So, for example, from going from minus 15 to 20 plus is huge because um, I've worked with companies where they're just trying to move it up like 0.5% or like 1%. So I think it's also up to the modernization of an organization to rethink how they quantify NPS. A survey, is that really going to give you, you know, I invite you guys to think, is a survey really going to give you the results that you're looking for NPS. What are you trying to measure? 
Are you trying to measure the sale? Are you trying to measure the customer service? Are you trying to measure the overall experience with the brand? Whatever that may be. So I invite people to think about how and when they pepper that measure into their customer experience and then thinking about the other KPIs that can support it. Because we're in a place now, you know, when I was a customer side of Salesforce, you know, I had to spend a lot of time crunching a lot of numbers to get loads of lots of spreadsheets and dashboards in place. We're in a point now where we can open our laptops or screens and we have those dashboards. The biggest challenge is not how do I measure it, it's what do I measure? That's the conversations we're having. So NPS can be an aggregate of customer lifetime value, customer retention, speed to acquire, employee satisfaction as well. We're seeing those kind of metrics and ultimately employee loyalty. So I would invite people to not think about NPS as you know the, the smiley survey form um, that you get after a sale, but really think about how you collect customer feedback and just keep things going well throughout that journey and, and how you prevent a negative customer experience like we see in airlines you know, if something goes really well with your holiday, you won't necessarily be proactively advocating for it. But when an airline or an airport prevents something that could go wrong and they manage your expectations about it, like you may have a delay and then you're only delayed 15 minutes. Hey, happy days. You're not going to complain because they've managed your expectation and been proactive with you. So I think it's important to think about how you prevent negative customer experiences because that can also really move the dial on NPS as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the concept of NPS, as it was explained to me a few years back, was one simple question. How likely are you to recommend me to a friend (laughs) from zero to five or zero to 10? And then you would kind of calculate that way. I think we are probably smarter at operatics with what we are doing from a people perspective with our resources. But you're completely right. People who are likely to put a review, I mean, for me, I think at least that's the way I would think I'm more likely to give a negative review than on a positive experience. On a positive experience, I may think about it. You know, I'll be on the plane back and say that hotel was fantastic, service was great. Should definitely go on a booking.com or whatever to just drop them a, a fun, or trip advisor to give them a good review. I never end up doing it because, <laughs> you know, and it's the same with employees. You know, you look at Glassdoor. Glassdoor is basically a place for people who are not really happy. We have so many happy employees, but first of all, it doesn't feel right to go to them and say, you know what, Sally, I know that you are an happy employee of operatics. Why don't you go and say how oh, great we are on Glassdoor? Because it's, it's not genuine. Yeah, the, the one that tend to come and feedback are the people who may not have had the best experience. And there is always two sides to a story. But it's interesting how you drive that. And the way we say to drive is to be quite frontal about it. And having exit interviews that are a little bit more thorough. Because I think it's important for people, even if someone had a bad experience, and I will get onto the don'ts of customer experience with you in a sec, but one big thing that I've learned over the last few years is that if someone, if for any reason, and sometimes it's for things that are outside of your control, as a company, you've not delivered a fantastic experience for a customer, don't hide from it. Just go frontal and say, let's have a conversation. You tell me, I'm going to learn from it. And in three months time, I'm going to send you an email or drop you a note saying, this is all the things we've done with the feedback you gave me. Because you need to leave a good taste. And it's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to don't care about making mistakes, in my opinion. So it's almost like kind of giving that opportunity to blow out a little bit. (laughs) But I'd like to get your thoughts on that, but also the thoughts on why you've seen people trying customer experience 
but not really applying the right strategy to it. That would be super useful to understand the don't as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for when you talk about inviting people, it's really important to get people to be in the shoes of those people, even the employees as well, for you to for you to really have a, a good picture on things. That is super important. It's it's all about how you prevent a negative situation to a good situation, which is ultimately going to drive customer loyalty. Yeah. And customer loyalty is not really about in my opinion, loyalty programs and points, et cetera. It's an outcome of great customer experience as well. And then to your second point about, you know, how we're seeing failures. We're seeing failures where people, there's no ownership of this. The most mature organizations actually have someone appointed to do this. And I think that's important because it will always be an afterthought. Otherwise, it will always just be a nice to have project to, you know, to map out that customer journey and think about all those touch points and how you connect it. So I think it's important to have someone that's driving that reports into the CEO that is really getting the, the organization to think about how they do a really good job in customer experience. And often I see people with the right tools but still they have problems with their data. An average enterprise organization has 957 applications. Consolidation of data is so important. Yeah. And I know that's said, and I know it's kind of, we're all fatigued with hearing that, but it's true. Yeah, we've, um, got, we've got clients that don't know their end user. We've got yeah. clients that skew numbers for their end user. They have product numbers because that's the way their ERP system may remember them. And then yeah. people have moved on in an organization. So, you know, I knew Sally at Salesforce five years ago. Would Sally, if you are still at Salesforce in five years, you're probably doing something slightly different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's unlikely that you stay in the role for that long of a period of time. So it's very difficult to track. And we see that from our clients, some of the largest tech company that we support to do upselling, cross-selling. You get their data, you're supposed to call customers. It's a bit of a mess. And keeping up with the data could be a topic of <laughs> for another for another conversation. But you're right, that, that's a big gap. And with the best intention, if you don't have that, technically it's like having a Ferrari without having any petrol to put inside. Mm-hmm. So you know, you won't move very fast. So that makes sense. And, and is it one of the big parts where Salesforce is, is investing with their customer on, on customer journeys that orchestration of the data? Yeah, absolutely. So orchestration of customer journeys and data in the manual form of customer journey mapping, uh, loads of sticky notes on whiteboards or using tools like Miro. But yeah, the orchestration across everything. So we affect the, the customer 360 is to help the orchestration and delivering all those moments across marketing sales, sorry, marketing sales, service, commerce, everything, because, you know, customers don't see those departments. They just see that overall brand experience. And especially with our investments in CDPs and data, moving things from being really quick to action so we can get as real time as possible with customers is where we're seeing a lot of investment as well. Because the, the worst thing is you can spend so much money from a B2B perspective, at, you know, investing in your tech, in your customer experience, Fundamentally, if you have multiple views of a customer, then, you know, that's not going to work well. So you're going skiing tomorrow, right? Yes. How great would it be if the brands and companies that knew that you were going there or your hotel was able to speak to another company that you're, you're dealing with? So you ultimately have the best experience and make that seamless. Effectively, that's what we expect. That's what we need. We just need to 
be able to do that well. I grabbed a quick sandwich before this interview. I won't name where I went, but I go there all the time. I have a loyalty card with them. I can't eat gluten, so I have a gluten-free sandwich, but I have to repeat that conversation every single time. But I still go because I have to. It's convenient. It's just there. But it's that point of if someone's told you something or an employee in a store, for example, over the phone has picked up something about a customer, record it. Record it and act on it and never ask them again. (laughs) That's the service you get. I mean, this is the, yeah, it's so important to feel that personalized. How do you feel? Your customer experience is how do you make people feel special a little bit? You know, knowing their name, knowing little things. Are you going skiing or remembering something, remembering a birthday or... It was just doing something. I was I was skiing <laughs> over Christmas. But on Christmas Eve, you know, it was a bit of a different one because we're in the mountain. So you didn't really go to bed really late or whatever. So I was kind of in bed, checking my phone as usual. I was like, you know what? I'm going to send a WhatsApp message to lots of people. And I sent, this was a broadcast message. Merry Christmas. Hope you had a good year. Hope to catch up after the holiday period and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. Lots of exciting stuff happening. But it was kind of a B2B message. But I've got lots of clients on my phone, but some that I've not spoken to for a year, two years, three years. And the response was fantastic. I mean, in fact, you know, I went to bed very late that night because we were texting with people and, and doing things. And people actually are really appreciated that. Something that may have sounded a little bit cheesy because, you know, it's just a, a broadcast message technically. But people do respond well when you genuinely care about them. And I think, yeah, it'd be great for your sandwich shop to remember your name and know that you want gluten-free and just address that straight away because I think that would make you feel special. And probably you will speak about that experience with other people, mm. right? And you yeah. could make it a very positive experience. You could drive footfall to their shop. So that's a very good example. Now, I know that we spoke about NPS as one of the KPIs and, and one of the measure of success. From your perspective, Sally, is there any other measure of success that you would suggest our audience to look at? NPS can be relatively complicated sometimes yeah. to collect. So is there any other KPIs that you guys are using or recommend to your yeah. clients? Yeah, sure. So this is about holistic KPIs that kind of unite teams together. Customer lifetime value is something we're seeing because sometimes there's a flaw in customer retention if you're not measuring it right. The reason I say that is because customer retention, someone could still be active in your database. They could be receiving your emails you know, still have an active license with you, for example. I'm trying to bring this to your world a little bit. (laughs) But effectively, they could be active and retained, but not engaged. Yes. It's like like downloading an app on a phone. If you don't use the app, if the company is just measuring, you know, acquisition, oh, great, we've got a million app users. But how many times did they go back into the app? How many times did they order something from the app? So I think lifetime value is far more valuable ironically because you're measuring the right things it's like when I was a marketing consultant a lot of my customers would be like yeah but we've got an amazing open rate in their emails yes but they could be opening the email to delete the email open it and think a lot of things so again I think moving towards a three-dimensional KPI than just those those like one-dimensional KPIs could be really important. It's super interesting that I was blessed enough through Pavilion, through uh, so if Sam Jacobs and his team are 
Yael, I think, was the one organizing the conversation. But we had a conversation with a gentleman called Brian, who was the CEO and the founder of HubSpot. And they had a tremendous churn rate over their first year. So literally 10% of the clients that they would acquire, 10% of their revenue was chopping every month. 10%, right? And what they realized, they realized that there is a North Star matrix for the people who stick with them. And the North Star metrics was that the people who stick with them are probably will not give the story justice because I don't quote my numbers, but from what Brian told us was they have to use at least six functionality of HubSpot, mm-hmm. okay? Which HubSpot was very much a marketing automation machine back in the days, you know, how to generate leads through, you know, you put content. But people who are buying HubSpot, not realizing the amount of work that you need to put in. So they were buying the Ferrari, but they were like not realizing that you need to create content, you need to do this, you need to do that. And that's a lot of work that needs to get in, right? In order to make that Ferrari work. Mm-hmm. People are just so that my friends are telling me that they are using HubSpot and leads are coming in. I want MQLs, marketing qualified leads, yeah. HubSpot and other. but they were churning. So really what they've done is a big effort on the sales process to make sure that people out of the gate are getting those, that sort of North Star focus of at least using five to six functionality of the product. So the sales cycle got longer, the closing rate went lower, but the retention became greater. But most importantly, the satisfaction and mm-hmm. the brand image. Because, you know, we've not really talked about that today, but when you deceive a customer, they expect uh, that big and they got that big. <laughs> this is over-promising, under-delivering, bad, bad, bad for customer experience, I would have thought. But the other one, you've got Slack. So I think Slack was telling us on another conversation that we had with some people there that, Again, I'm, don't quote me on the number, but if they sell an enterprise license of Slack, they expect to have at least 250,000 messages exchanged in the first three months of the implementation. They know that if an organization of a certain size will do that, job done. We are with them for, they love us. We are with them for four years, five years. Yeah. Right? So those North Star metrics are kind of interesting. And we've been actually scratching a little bit at operatics to find ours. Yeah. Um, and I think we're still working on it. And We've got, well, we're still working on it. We've got an OLENS next week to discuss them with the rest of the team. So we take the North Star and then we break it down to, okay, if you are in customer success or in delivery or in sales, what does that mean for you? How can you contribute to the North Star? That's a very valid point. Finding your North Star, finding that sort of metrics that means that people are actually using, they're not just bought the license, they're actually using and they can be an advocate of your solution. Absolutely. And I think because people are in that realm of modernization, they also look to, you know, because it's you, you kind of want to wait for someone to do it or you wait for a case study to be born and then you do it. I see this conversation with KPIs all the time, especially as I've seen the evolution of people not understanding customer centricity to now they, we don't need to champion for it so much, but now people want to realize it. Sally, what KPIs do we actually measure? And I think what's important to do is focus on what you're trying to achieve as a business first, understand that direction and find the, there's, a, there's enough KPIs and amazing, you know, data visualization analytics called tools out there now that can help you realize those goals. But I think it's important for you to, you know, really align on what's important for your business and where you're trying to take the business and then look at, well, these are the types of KPIs we could be you know, measuring yeah. together and uniting people together around that. 
I've got a very sensitive topic now. So, you know, we've been introduced by Simon, who is the finance director at Operatics. <laughs> uh, I need you to settle <laughs> a disagreement between Simon and I, and I'll make sure that you listen to this episode. Um, I have no idea about it. <laughs> well, it's coming. Yes, that's the question that is coming out of the blue. Lifetime value. What's lifetime value? Because, all right, we've got debates about the formula. We've got whiteboards. Is it lifetime value for us as a business? How much revenue have you brought me as a client? How much profitability you've brought me as a client, which is a me, 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 me stats. And technically, that doesn't mean that your client is happy. Or is it lifetime value based on what you have, the value you have delivered to your customer, which is super cool to track, but how do you do it, right? So I'm not going to ask you to go into too much details in that. Which one do you think is the one we should go after? How, do you have a way of defining lifetime value in your own words or in your own concept at Salesforce? My question back would be, why not do both? Because yeah. my other response... Very political. Very political. But if you asked me that question before, I would have said this to you in the pandemic, focus on winning your customers and profitability will follow. That's my general response in this. But I understand that you're a business and you need to attribute certain things, which is why I said, why not do both? Because you might find a correlation between that. I won't give you a definition of it because to be completely honest with you, the technology does it for you. It does it based on the type of like artificial intelligence in the system because we're at that point now. So I was client side eight years ago and we've come a long way eight years ago. So I've not been in that situation where I've had to like really figure out that formula. But I would look at the what your KPI is, is around spending, whatever that is, and then look at the time you've had that customer and look at that kind of cohort that way. But again, you know, challenge the status quo. Does it need to be one? Does it need to be two? Is one we KPI could make, we could make me and Simon happy basically? That's a good one, and we've not thought about that. We are too interested in fighting each other and knowing you know, which one we're going <laughs> well, he's to. finance. So, <laughs> last question for you it just actually came up as, as you mentioned COVID 19. I know we're slightly over time, but COVID 19, big change of the way we do things. There is again, your know, customer experience could have been dining, whining, uh, having a good time, taking people away. I see far less of that. And people are becoming much more I'm at home, don't really want to go out. I've seen people going to events and feeling a little bit weird, not knowing if they should fist pump, elbow pump, handshake, whatever. We had colored bands for like traffic light system. Like yeah. I'm a hugger. So it's like I was wearing green. Some people who I thought was a hugger was like red. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've all changed. I love the red flag. That's a great little thing to do. Very I'll smart. Try and get some if I can find some. <laughs> very, very smart. Have you seen a shift I mean, in the way customer experience needs to be run since you know people are more like working from home? Do you think it's more difficult? Is there new tactics or okay? So are you saying this from like a consumer sense or more from like the like a B2B sense? A B2B sense. So B2B yeah. sense, I've got my customers, uh, you know, I they are happy with my service, but Really, the way I feel I'm running my customer right now is we get on calls, after calls, after calls. It's always serious. There is not a lot of small talk. Prior to 2019, I probably would be able to tell you how many kids they've got. I will be able to Uh, tell you where they live, if they like fishing, cycling, boxing, what team they would support, if they like football or whatever. Because I had the time, I would go for a drink or I would meet them at an event and have 30 minutes to catch up with someone, but not about the job, just about tell me who you are. And I think that 
in the past, it has helped me to really create relationships that go deeper than just, hey, you are a client and it's transactional. It's actually, you know what? I like you. You like me. Maybe not friend as such because there's, yeah. it, you know, but there is a certain dimension that I feel is kind of missing now. And I am trying to go to people who probably should wear a red bracelet sometimes. And I feel that I'm, oh, am I trying too hard to be too close? And so I want you to get your perception on that and what you've heard from your clients and your team. Have you seen a shift or like yeah. me or not? Yeah, it's super tricky because I think we all thought that we were going to come out and then, you know, all be more social than ever. But I think one of the things, and this probably has been my futurist hat on a little bit, is like people's value on time as well. Time is so critical to people. So some people can come back to the office. They're not that health conscious or paranoid. But guess what? They want to spend that time differently. I think I've seen a lot where you lose that intimacy or you might use that lose those serendipitous moments with people. And yeah, it's just all about relationship building at the end of the day. But one thing I would say is in a place where time is so important, be different. So trying to get on more calls and do more things is good. You're just going to be like everybody else. So why not, you know, be a little bit different and actually show how much you value time, respect time. And if you can minimize meetings, do that because that's going to grow even more trust with your customer as well. So, you know, if you need to do something in an hour, do it in half an hour with your customer if you can because those little bits of human behavior I find a longer way because mm-hmm. it's always nice to give time back it's always nice to end a meeting a little bit early it doesn't devalue what you've given them in that moment of time but it just shows that you're smart you're efficient and it's going to leave a nice longing impression to them to think next time we're going to have a conversation oh yeah I'll make time for this it's always quick enjoyable we get yeah. straight to it So I think it's just about being human. I think it's about trust. And I think it's about reimagining the time for people, given it's like the most valuable thing we have, but we can always do more of. 100%. Well, thanks for your insights, Ali. It was super cool to chat with you. I took Pleasure. a few notes. I also found out how much you love skiing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to reuse some of the tactics that you shared with us today. So it's been good for me, learning at least two or three things that I'm going to try and go away and, and implement. So that's wonderful. Now, if anyone else wants to follow up with you, carry on the conversation or simply engage with Salesforce and saying, well, you know what, Sally, I did not know that Salesforce that I'm probably using at the moment could help me to do that. And I want to learn more, whatever. What's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, sure. So feel free to email me directly, snaruzi at salesforce.com. If you are an existing customer, reach out to your account executive. Happy to connect personally. If you want to speak to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I also have a food blog if you like cooking on Instagram as well. That's so beautiful. It's good to be good and free. So yeah, remember that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But my NPS has gone up. But yeah, feel free to reach out. I love speaking to people learning. I think we're all in a really interesting part of an industry. I I know we're not saving lives, but we do have awesome jobs in in tech and this field with customers. So yeah, um, feel free to get in touch. And all those those stats that I presented and, and talked about, they're all available on our website. You can download those amazing researches for free as well. And then we'll all love something free. So there we go. <laughs> That's good. Well, thank you so much to be part of the show today and for coming and joining me. It was a great conversation. So thank you. Sally. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.